let's get right down to business, what shall we? Uh, let's turn to Mark chapter 4, if you would, please. Mark chapter 4, we're going to read verses 35 through 41. How many of you would rather be here tonight than in prison? All right, good, good. Well, I'm glad you're excited about being here then. All right, good. Mark chapter 4, I hope you found that there. Mark chapter 4, we're going to read verses 35 through 41. Would you stand with me, please? And we'll read it together. The Bible says in verse 35, And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over to the other side. When they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there rose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the good day, the beautiful weather that you gave us today. I want to thank you for each and every family and individual that has come here tonight, that came here from work, uh, surely some that might not have even gotten to eat, and just they came here to make being in your house and hearing your word a priority. And I pray that your blessing will be upon them, upon their children, their families. Lord, we want to pause and thank you for the change that you have made in our life. And I pray that you would do it again. I pray little by little. Tonight you would just chip away at our sinful flesh and that you'd make us more like Jesus Christ tonight and change us. Help our hearts to be receptive to your truth. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, maybe you've heard the famous quote. It's uh, often said, the best laid plans of mice and men oft go awry. Maybe you've heard that before or used that before. How many of you had a a plan, and when you executed your plan, it didn't quite go the way you thought it would, right? Okay, I think we're all that way. I came across this little uh, uh, illustration here, and I thought it was pretty interesting. A man filed for a workman's comp claim. This happened in the, the United Kingdom. He filed a workman's comp claim, and uh, they asked what the reason for the, the problem was, and he said, poor planning. And they wanted more details. We need more details. You can't just put poor planning. I want more details. So here's what he wrote to the insurance company. So bear with me, but I think you'll like this. Dear sir, I'm writing in response to your request for additional information in block number three of the accident reporting form. I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You said in your letter that I should explain more fully, and I trust the following details will be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I discovered that I had about 500 pounds of bricks left over. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley, which fortunately was attached to the side of the building at the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into it. I went, I, when I went back to the ground, I untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 500 pounds of bricks. You will note in block number 11 of the accident reporting form that my weight is 185 pounds. <laughs> Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rather rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel, which was now proceeding in a downward direction at an equally impressive rate of speed. This explains the fractured skull, minor abrasions, and broken collarbone as listed in Section 3 of the accident reporting form. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley, which I mentioned in paragraph number 2 of this correspondence. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of the excruciating pain I was now beginning to experience. 
At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Now devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight in block number 11. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel that was then coming back up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles, broken tooth, and severe lacerations of my legs and lower body. Here my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrels seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell onto the pile of bricks, and fortunately only three vertebrae were cracked. I'm sorry to report, however, that as I lay there on the pile of bricks in pain, unable to move and watching the empty barrel six stories above me, I again lost my presence of mind and let go of the rope. I would say that was some poor planning, wouldn't you? Uh, quite an event for the day. Maybe your day wasn't quite as bad as that one. Well, the good news that I have for you tonight is this. That even though sometimes we have a plan and when we try and execute our plan, it doesn't go as we thought it would and doesn't come out as successfully as we would have liked, I want to say to you tonight that the good news is God has a plan for your life. And God's plan is always, always, always better than your plan. In fact, Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I'm so thankful that our Heavenly Father has a plan for our life. And I know that many times the world and I guess the, the lies of the devil, remember he is a liar and the father of lies, he often especially tells our young people that, well, you know, if you, if you live for God, if you follow God's plan, you won't have any fun and your life will be miserable. And I want to tell you, that's a lie. Because our Heavenly Father has good thoughts towards us. He has thoughts of peace, not evil, not trouble, not difficulty. He, he wants to give us an expected end. He has a plan for your life and He has a plan for my life. And I want to say tonight publicly, I want to thank God that He is a better planner than I am. I want to thank God that he's a better planner than I am. I want you to see in our text the plan that the Lord had for his disciples, and let's learn some lessons from it. In verse 35, it says there, I thought this was interesting, and the same day. Could you imagine spending one day with Jesus? I think, I think if you are a devoted Christian in this room tonight, you would give every last penny in your life savings to spend 24 hours with Jesus here on earth. Could you imagine the rush and the thrill of one day just being with him? Let's take into account this day. It said there, this same day. Let's think about that day. That day, here's what they experienced. They experienced, first of all, Jesus preaching the parables of the kingdom. It was in this day that we're talking about that Jesus gave that famous parable of the sower. He also gave them a private explanation of what that parable meant. I mean, could you imagine tonight? I mean, I feel sorry for you folks. You're stuck with Michael Jones this week. These guys heard Jesus preach that day. I mean, could you imagine that? And they, I can't imagine sitting there and hanging on his every word as he expounded about the truths of the kingdom. They heard him preach. But in that same 24-hour period, not only did they hear multiple parables and some of his preaching and teaching, they were also able to witness him uh, healing someone and, and performing miracles. I mean, I, I would have loved, I mean, man, I, this was not trickeration or anything like that. I mean, here he is healing people, uh, and that took place on that day. In fact, we know on that day, people, even up till, till the very end of the day, they were bringing the sick, and they were bringing the maimed, and they were bringing uh, uh, people that were possessed by devils, and all of this was going on in that day. In fact, we see here not only was it an exciting day of preaching and an exciting day of, of some ministry action, you'll also understand that in that day, it was a very, very popular thing. I mean, this is a great crowd tonight, and I commend you and applaud you for, for taking the time out of your schedule to make the Lord a priority. And I, again, I'm, I'm very glad for the good crowd that we have this evening. I mean, could you imagine if, if tonight, I mean, this place was so packed that ushers were scrambling around to find chairs, and, and we didn't even know if, man, what if the fire marshal shows up? I mean, we're in big trouble. Could, they, they were experiencing those kind of crowds, and, and so the disciples, I'm sure, were very excited because of the population and the multitudes that were, that were surrounding them. This was all in one day of ministry. But Jesus had a plan. I want you to understand tonight, 
that you can learn a lot of lessons, especially those of us in this room that, that would be teachers or preachers, maybe in a Sunday school class or even in a pulpit capacity. I want you to learn from Jesus tonight in the way he conducted and handled his preaching. You will notice in his preaching that, first of all, preaching needs to be truthful. Maybe if we were being technical about it, we would say that it needs to be contextual. You, you, you need to be careful about somebody that would just maybe lift one verse or one truth out and try and uh, build an entire premise or doctrine on it. Everything needs to be contextual and, and, and truthful, and Jesus certainly did that in his preaching and teaching. But I want, you, I want to reemphasize this again, and I did a little bit yesterday. It also needs to be applicable, or maybe we could say this, practical. Listen, I'm very thankful for somebody who can dig deep into the truths of Scripture. And, and man, I, I don't think we ought to get bored when somebody is trying to, trying to maybe go a little bit deeper than just what we might say Sunday school type lessons for children. But, but I want to say this, I, I really wouldn't give you very much for somebody that digs so deep that they never make it practical in your life. Because Jesus was very profound in his teaching, very, very deep and detailed in what he would say. But he was so practical that here he is with a band of basically fish fishermen and publicans and yet he was taking these men and he was saying listen here are some deep deep truths of the kingdom which really some men are still debating and trying to figure out and understand today but he says but not only that I want to make it applicable in your life and so he takes them on a journey he takes them on a journey so I want to ask the question tonight what's the plan what's the plan and I want to give you three parts to God's plan in this text number one I want you to see this God's plan may be puzzling. It may be puzzling. Would you be honest tonight? How many of you have ever seen God do something and you thought, that was a little different? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jesus said in verse 35 here, he says, hey, guys, let's pass over to the other side. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read this tonight, I, I don't find that to be stern, strong, commanding language. It's, it's almost like, to me, it sounds like a suggestion. It'd be kind of like me approaching you and say, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee. I mean, hey, let's go to the other side. But I want you to notice that his disciples correctly treated this as a command. Because, listen to me tonight, I, I know who I'm preaching to. I'm preaching to a Monday night uh, revival meeting type crowd. Again, I, I appreciate you being here, but, but, but I want you to know tonight, a disciple that, that is, really has a devoted heart would treat Jesus' suggestions like commands. I don't know about you, but I kind of grow weary uh, uh, of people who call themselves Christians. Listen, it's one thing if somebody who is lost and doesn't quite grasp the truth of Scripture and it's not rooted and grounded that way, but I grow quite weary of, of Christians and what I would call carnal people that have the attitude of, well, well, where's that in the Bible? I really get tired of that. Where's that in the Bible? Well, usually when they ask it like that, they don't want to know where it's at in the Bible. Because even if you show them that in the Bible, they, they're going to reason it away. Uh, just the other day, I was asked, we have a, a couple of professors in our, in, in, a couple that teach at Clemson and some other uh, colleges in our area that go to our church. And there's a young lady, she teaches in the physical therapy department at a smaller college, it's about 30 minutes away from us. She's teaching a nutrition class and she asked me, she said, Pastor, would you come and just talk to our students about a biblical perspective of alcohol? Well, in case you're, you're, you're wondering, I, I believe that the Bible teaches an abstinence position from all forms of alcohol, and uh, I don't have time to, to get into all of that, but I remember giving a lecture for about 50 minutes or so in this nutrition class, and, and uh, you know, a bunch of people at a so-called Christian-based uh, university looking at me like, uh, you, you got to be crazy, man. Where's that in the Bible? You can sit there for an hour and tell them where it's in the Bible and most people think, think you're nutso. And I'm, I'm telling you tonight, we live in a generation of people. I'm not talking about lost people. I'm talking about Christian people that want to live their life. And, and what they do is they try to base their life on, they try to live by what the Bible doesn't say instead of just getting busy and getting serious about what the Bible does say. And here I love the attitude of the disciples of Jesus that says, hey guys, let's go to the other side. They say, hey, your wish, uh, I mean your suggestion, your wish is, is a command to us. And man, we want to do that. And I would to God that everybody in this room tonight would be so serious about your faith that you would say, even if Jesus just suggests it in my life, that's what I want to do with my life. Because his plan's better than my plan. But I want to be, I don't want to be too hard on these disciples because I've been uh, where they are. 
Uh, sometimes we, we just kind of get puzzled by what he wants to do. Uh, you see, if, that, if Jesus wants us to go to the other side, we ought to go to the other side. But, but here's a good question. Why did Jesus want to do that? Because if I was one of the disciples, I'd be sitting there going, why are we leaving here? I mean, we, we've had an amazing day. I mean, here, there is a multitude of people that are hungry for the word right here. Why would we leave this? I mean, we've got record attendances, and it is eventide, and they are still bringing people over here. You know what? Maybe the disciples might have said something like this. Why should we go to the other side? There is a need right here. Now, can I take a time out? Can I tell you something? I want to fill you on a secret. There's a need everywhere. Okay? So need-based ministry is kind of silly. I've heard people say to me, why would you want a pastor in South Carolina? Why don't you go to California and be on the front lines? There's a real need in California. I tell my friends in California, then why don't you move to India? There's a need there. And I don't care where you move, there is a need everywhere. But I could see the disciples going, why would we leave here? There, there are so many people there bringing us sick people left and right. We are popular here. There is work to be done. It is exciting. It is big. It is successful. Why in the world would you want to go to the other side? But if you study the geography where Jesus was moving to the other side, don't miss this, is where a lot of the Gentiles were. So most of the Jews, if you understand a Jewish mind, that's a neighborhood they did not go to. They didn't go to for prejudicial reasons. They did not want to go over there. They didn't really care if Gentiles ever did get saved. And, and so they would think, well, this would become even more puzzling. Why would we leave here when we've got all these people who want us here, all of this exciting thing that is being done here, and these are our people? Why would we leave to go over there? Well, we don't even know if they want us. We don't even want to go over there. Why would you? It would be very puzzling to their mind why this would take place. Why would he leave the multitude and go over there? But I want you to know tonight, sometimes God's plan puzzles us because it just doesn't make sense to us. Can I give you some Bible examples of this? How about old Abraham? Hey, hey, what's your name? Well, you know, uh, uh, my, na my name is, is, is Abram. Well, I'm going to change that name. I want to change your name to father of many nations. But God, this is confusing to me because I don't have any children at all. And I'm 90. I mean, doesn't that, I, I mean, think about it. What would you do if somebody came to you and they said, they were 90 years old and they said, I'm expecting a baby? Exactly. That's why they named him Laughter, Isaac. Because it was puzzling. It was weird. It didn't make any sense. That God would take 200-year-old people and, and raise up a, a nation. That, that's just very puzzling. I, I think about even Joseph. Remember Joseph? God came to Joseph in a dream. Joseph didn't conjure up the dream. God gave him the dream. And God said that uh, people are going to bow down before you because you will be exalted, even above your father and your mother and all of your brothers. But that was very puzzling to him when his brothers turned on him and threw him in a pit. And then he found himself sold into slavery. And then he was just trying to do uh, a good job and make the best of a bad situation. And he ends up getting thrown in prison. And that was very puzzling to him. For years after year after year after year, his dream was not being fulfilled. And he thought, God, this is confusing to me because you made it very clear to me that you were going to exalt me. And here I find myself in slavery and in prison. This is very puzzling to me. How about Jesus and his relationship with Lazarus? Lazarus was somebody that he loved. And Mary and Martha thought, surely, I mean, the, the connection that he has with our family and how much he loves Lazarus. My brother is sick, go sin for Jesus. No doubt Lazarus and Mary and Martha had been on journeys with Jesus where he had healed people. And they thought, if Jesus was ever going to heal somebody, we've watched him heal perfect strangers. We've watched him heal people that he doesn't even know, that, that, that didn't even care for him like we did. We fed him and we housed him and we've helped him. And these people, they just came around for a free meal, and they just came around uh, uh, for a miracle in their life. Surely he'll come when we call. When they came and said, Lazarus is sick. I mean, he's sick bad. He's on his deathbed. Jesus said, oh, okay, that's good. I think I'll come by and see him in a few days. You remember Jesus finally showed up after four days. He had already been dead. 
Mary's so distraught, she didn't even leave the house. I imagine there's a lot of confusion. Jesus, if you had just come, we know you could have healed him. If you had just come, and we don't understand why you did come. Don't you think even from some of the silly things, I wouldn't say silly, maybe it's the wrong word, but do you remember that time that Jesus was healing a man who, who, who was, had a speech impediment because, of, because he was deaf? You remember Jesus takes, takes his hand and spits on it and touches the man's tongue. Any of you like me ever read the Bible and thought, that's kind of weird? Yeah. I mean, that don't make any sense. Why, why did he do that? I mean... Have you ever had somebody else grab your tongue? I don't think I've ever had that. I don't think I ever want that. I mean, that's just, that just seems like strange behavior. And I'm just trying to tell you tonight, we are called to follow Jesus' plan even at times when it doesn't make sense. When you live long enough and you follow God long enough, there's going to be some things in your life that right now in the immediate time don't make a whole lot of sense. But Jesus in the Bible says this verse, and a lot of people love this verse. A lot of people have written this verse as their life verse. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And, I mean, we, we kind of understand that, right? I mean, there are times in our life we, we have no other option but to believe God to the best of our ability with all of our heart. We, we trust in the Lord with all our heart. But the Bible goes on to say this, and lean not to thine own understanding. You know why we can't lean to our own understanding? Is sometimes God's ways just don't make sense to us. So understand this tonight. God's plan may be puzzling. Let me say secondly, his plan may include problems. It may include problems. It says there that when he sent them away, they took him in the ship, and there were other little ships that followed him. And in verse 37, and there arose a great storm of wind. A great storm of wind. You see there that there were problems. We, we find ourselves in the Sea of Galilee, and the Sea of Galilee was really a lake but it was called a sea because it had certain characteristics about it that were sea-like. What would happen is cold wind would whip down from the snow-capped mountains of Mount Hermon, and they would come down and they would combine with the warm lake air, uh, and it would cause an effect that would create fierce storms and winds. In fact, recently, or not too terribly long ago, in 1992, a recorded storm on the Sea of Galilee listed 10-foot-high waves that led to flooding and damage in the city of Tiberias. I mean, th this still is happening at times today, and, and, and you'll see that this was a common occurrence there. But you'll find that Jesus said, hey, in order to get to the other side, which is my intention, we have to go through, and we're going to go through, a storm. I want to preach about that and talk about that for just a few minutes, if I may. I think many people have the false idea that storms only come in our life when we have disobeyed God. But that is not the case. Now, they do come in our life when we disobey God. I want you to think of the most famous person in the Bible where a storm came their way because they disobeyed, and that would be the prophet Jonah. Remember, God said, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach. And uh, Jonah said, I don't want to go to Nineveh. In fact, I, I hope you judge Nineveh. In fact, I hope you judge them so much that I'm going to go the exact opposite way, and I absolutely defy the command that you gave me. And he gets on a ship. Now, I want to stop and say this for a moment. I think in Christianity, a lot of times, peace is very overrated. You ever heard somebody say this? Well, I just don't have peace about it. Do you know you can have peace about doing wrong? Jonah was at perfect peace, and he was defying God to his face. You say, what do you mean? Jonah's at the bottom of the ship, and you have professional sailors in the middle of a storm who are panicking, and Jonah is down there taking a nap. He was at perfect peace disobeying God. So again, there have been times in my life I've tried to obey God and I wasn't at great peace about it. I was fearful about it, honestly. And here's Jonah doing wrong and he was at peace. And they go down, they wake him up. Hey, get up, man. Then there's a storm going on. We need your help. And he goes, yeah, yeah, it's God. He's after me. Any you ever been, I mean, I mean, I had old-fashioned parents. Any you ever got a whooping from your mama? You ever got one before and you didn't even know what you did? 
man, my mama would grab me and start whipping me with, I mean, she had this wooden thing. What'd I do? What'd I do? And I, I didn't want to confess to anything because it could have been a number of things, you know? <laughs> Can I tell you something? When God decides to give one of his children a whooping, you always know. And Jonah woke up and he's like, that's me, you better throw me over. <laughs> I mean, he knew. Now, he was in a storm because he had disobeyed God. But I want you to see in our text tonight that you have a group of people who, who they were trying to obey God so much that Jesus' suggestions were their commands. They were completely obeying God and they found themselves in the middle of a storm. Now think about this tonight. We generally think that when Jesus is on board in our ship and we're doing what he has commanded us, that we should have calm passage across the sea. Let's think about a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. We're getting ready to have a missions conference in two weeks at our church. Missions conference at our church is a very exciting time, and we're looking forward to it. We've got four different missionary families that are coming in. One family is going to India, very, very difficult field. Another family is going to Turkey, very difficult field. We've got another one going to Australia. That's a difficult field. We've got another one that's going to Chile. And I think about these families that what they do is they decide to sacrifice the prosperity of the United States of America. So I don't think we ought to have to feel guilty that we have a measure of prosperity in our country. I would never try and shame you or make you feel bad because you have a, me a measure of what we, we consider wealth around the world. But, but you've got to understand that's a bit of a sacrifice to leave the comforts, not only of the prosperity of America, but also just this is what you're familiar with. This is what you're comfortable with. And these folks are not only going to be willing to leave that, they're going to get in a car. Many of them are young people right out of Bible college, and they might have a, a little children, a one-year-old, maybe, a, I mean, a lot of times the missionary families, you know, they got a two-year-old, and they got a several-month-old, and they're going to travel around in a, in a minivan all around the country, stopping in church after church after church, and asking these churches to get behind them and support them and help them. They're going to have fast food meals and drop in strange churches and they're going to take their babies and put them in nurseries with people that they don't know. It's quite, a, quite an ordeal. And I'm not suggesting that there's a better... I'm just saying it's tough. And I'd imagine there's a missionary somewhere out there because I know this is how I'd feel if I was on the deputation trail. If I'm traveling, I'm doing this, I'm willing to leave America, I'm willing to go somewhere that's difficult, I'm willing to go somewhere in a foreign field, and I'm willing to put... 200,000 miles on my minivan with two screaming brats in the back. My van better not ever break down. I mean, I can see somebody on the side of the road, steam coming up. And you like me? Because I'm not very mechanical. If you ever see me on the side of the road with the hood, hood up, that's because that's what men do. They just look in there. If you see me looking in there, I don't know what I'm looking at. Okay, yeah. Stop and help me. But I promise I'd be looking in there going, Lord, I'm willing to sacrifice and I'm willing to do this. And you, you can't keep my car running right? Maybe I'm the only one that would feel this way. And I know a lot of people that think, well, I, I'm at church. You know, the pastor, he tells us Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. You know, our church still has Sunday night services. And I come on Sunday night. And I come on Wednesday. And here I am on Monday night. And I'm planning to come back Tuesday night. I and mean, we go to one of these old-fashioned crazy churches. Church Sunday night, Sunday morning, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I am here every service. I got my kids in here. And they've got homework when we get home. And we got to get baths. And we got to get them in bed. And we got to do all this stuff. And, and and I'm in church like the preacher told us. And we even go to Sunday school. And we do his Bible study. And we do all of this stuff. So I better not have any problems with my kids. I've heard people say, well, I'm a tithe. Man, I tithe. I give 10%. And he talks about faith, promise, giving. And I, I give to that. And I should not ever have to expect a financial crisis in my life. And I serve God, I serve in the nursery, and I serve on the Wednesday night kids program, and I, I, I sing in the choir, and I, I come to the special activities, and I, I serve God. I don't just sit on a pew. I, I do things in this church, and I help out, and I do things. So I don't want to hear the word cancer in my life. Listen, we might not say these things out loud, but, but I think we struggle with these 
ideas. Can I tell you tonight, forms of Christianity that encourage and promise a life of continual success, continual excitement, continual growth, they not only end in frustration, they focus on the wrong goal. Don't get me wrong, I, I kind of have that personality and that mindset and I struggle with it, that every Sunday needs to be bigger than the last Sunday. And every sermon needs to be more exciting than the other one. But that's just not reality. It's not what Jesus ever told us. Really, really, Christianity is not about results. It's about a relationship. I've been married 20 years now. You know, marriage is like the seasons of the weather. Sometimes it's spring. And the birds are singing in the air. And sometimes it's winter. And it's really cold in here. When I ask, what is wrong? Nothing. Well, if you don't know, right, you know. (laughs) Marriage is seasonal. But you know Christianity is too. We have seasons. There sometimes it's summer and I'm on fire for the Lord. I mean, it's exciting. It is hot. And I mean, things are going. And other times, man, my spirit gets cold. A Christianity... It's not about results. It's about a relationship with him. The same way it's about loving my wife through all seasons and she loving me through all seasons. But the problem is, church either, I mean, too, it's not about growth. It's about health. I don't have time to unpack all of these ideas, but I do want to say this. I'm afraid that people like me who have grown up in church, we sometimes grow up in church with a faulty notion. So what do you mean? We grow up with the notion that it's really not Christianity we're being taught. We're being taught morality. You say, what do you mean? Well, I grew up in a good church, and man, I was always taught, I mean, as a little kid, God hates lying. Don't lie. Don't lie. We even say, saying songs about it. You know, oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. We, we, we were taught all of these things, and rightfully so. We, I was taught that true love waits, and I was taught not to drink beer and don't say bad words and don't watch bad movies. I was, I was taught these things, and that's good. I'm glad I was taught those things. I'm glad I was taught those things in my home, and I was glad I was taught those things in my church, and those things are all right. But I'm simply saying to you tonight, let's be careful that we're not just teaching ourselves morality instead of Christianity. Because here's what happens, and I've watched this as a pastor. I've watched this as a track record. Here's what happens is if we've been taught all of these things you know don't do this and do this and don't do that and do this and we should teach those things but if that's all we have been taught then when something bad happens in our life we have a hard time processing that because i've watched men who've tried to do the right thing and their wife left them anyway and some of them have said I did everything you told me, and this is what I got. I've watched teenagers who didn't get into the college or the program that they wanted to get in. They thought, you always told me that if I did what was right, God would bless me, and I didn't get what I wanted. I've seen adults who didn't get the job they wanted, so they thumbed their nose at it all. I've seen people that sat in a doctor's office and were given a bad diagnosis and they, they thought, I prayed, I read my Bible, I went to church. Why am I dealing with this? Basically, you know what all of those scenarios say? I was good and God let this happen to me. Can I tell you tonight, Christians are not exempt from sickness. They're not exempt from poverty. They're not exempt from natural disasters, bereavement, death, and the basic ills of life. So I'm telling you tonight, be very careful. Never expect promises from God that He never made to you. And here's a statement I'd like to give you. 
God does not promise protection from the storm. He never promised us that. In fact, sometimes if you follow him, he'll take you right into a storm. He never promised protection from the storm, but I promise you this. He always promises his presence in the storm. Always. God's plan is so better, so much better than our plan, but I'm going to warn you. Sometimes it's going to be puzzling. It's not going to make a lot of sense to you. Other times it's going to, it's going to be problematic. It's, it's going to have some problems. But let me say this lastly. His plan will always have a purpose. You see, they already knew that Jesus had the power to forgive sins. They had seen him heal that paralytic man that was lowered through the roof. And they'd already seen him exercise power over the spiritual realm as he cast out a demoniac in the synagogue. But now they would learn that he has power over nature. And here's what Jesus was trying to teach them. And don't miss this. Jesus had a plan to teach them that you can trust him in every situation. Every situation. I don't know if you've ever taken a medication that said this, shake well before using. Uh, how many of my generation remember, remember those old antibiotics? I don't know if they still make them or not, but antibiotics that came in those pink bottles and they kind of flavored it to taste good. I remember one time my brother got in the refrigerator. He was a little guy. He got in there. I mean, he liked that stuff. He cracked it over. He was like chugging that stuff. Maybe that's what's wrong with him today, you know. <laughs> those medications on those tops, they, they, they would say it in red letters around that white top. It would say, shake well before using. Can I tell you tonight? I think if I asked you, do you want God to use you? I think everybody would say, oh yeah, I want God to use me. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes God has to shake us well before he could ever use us. Remember he looked at Peter one day, he said, Peter, I really want to use you, but I cannot use you until you're converted. He wasn't saying to Peter, until you get saved, boy, I can't use you. No, Peter was already saved. That word converted means changed. That song these fellows were talking about, he's made a change. God, Jesus said to him, listen, Peter, I can use you when, you, when I change you. I'm going to have to change you. When I do, I, I can use you. And, and God did. God shook Peter real well in a few occasions. One in particular was when he denied the Lord three times at that fire. Uh, he denied him. Uh, but Jesus, after that, restored him and said, you know, now you've been shaken up pretty good. You were some self-reliant, proud, thumping your chest, Peter. But now I've changed you. I shook you up real well. Now I can use you. And then he stood at Pentecost and he preached and thousands got saved. God's got a purpose and sometimes he'll, he'll do puzzling things and problematic things to create a purpose in our lives so he can shake us up a little bit so he can use us. And verse 40 gives us some insight into what Jesus was trying to do. Look at verse 40. He said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And then in verse 41, they feared exceedingly and said one another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I know I need to hurry up and I need to wrap it up. Thank you for listening. I hope I'm not wearing you out too much. I want you to look at what Jesus was trying to do. Number one, I want you to see this. He wanted to deal with their fear. Why are you so fearful? I'm thankful for the song tonight. They say, he's been faithful to me. I just want to testify. I'm the one doing the preaching tonight, so I guess I get to testify. But you can say amen if you agree with this. There have been times in my life I have not been faithful to the Lord. And here's what I've come to learn. He has always been faithful to me. Always, always. But here's the rub on that. There have been times in my life where I, I have, there have been times where I ignorantly did things that were against his will. There were times I, on, I intentionally, on purpose, did things that were against his will. And I have had the audacity and the nerve to question him. So here is one that, I, I, listen, this is my testimony. He has, man, they, they sang about this yesterday, and it blessed my soul. He, he has never failed me. Amen. Never. And I have failed him repeatedly. Listen, there have been times I've fallen on my knees before him in confession, and I claimed 1 John 1, 9, and I said, I will never do that again, God. I'll never do that again. And before the sun set that day, I did it again. I have failed him. 
and he has never failed me. And I have had the audacity in my life at times to question him and to say to him, God, I don't know what you're doing, and I don't know why you're not helping me, and I'm all tore up about this, and I'm all nervous about this, and all anxious about this. Now here, an unfaithful, faithless individual is questioning an always faithful God. Do you know how offensive that is to my God? That when I have fear in my heart, that God is, you're not going to do anything? And I'm just saying to you tonight, a presence of fear can indicate in our life a lack of faith because fear and faith are very incompatible things. The reason I I experience a lot of fear in my life is because I I have a little faith. So he follows up with another question. He says, uh, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? So number one, he wants to deal with their fear. Number two, he wants to grow their faith. Now, now, now in this storm, if I, if I can hasten here, it took the disciples almost going under in this ship to realize that their faith wasn't really in him. You say, what do you mean? I think their faith was in their skills, their ability. I mean, can you see this? Jesus is tired. Man, he has preached all day long. He is, he, listen, I don't know if you realize, I, I, I imagine many of you work with people. People make you tired. He has preached all day long and dealt with people all day long, and he is tired. Did you see on the ship, it, the, the Bible emphasizes the fact that he had a pillow. He brought the pillow. I mean, he went on the boat knowing they're going into a storm and said, I think he'll take me a nap. But I can see old Peter. I mean, he's proud. I believe it was Peter's boat. And he's proud of it. And and I believe him saying, all right, all right, Lord, I see you got your pillow there. And I know you're tired. You've been preaching all day. And man, people wear you out. I know that. Just go on back there and take a nap. We got this. I know this sea, this lake, like the back of my hand. You want to go over there? Peter's your man. I'm going to get you to where you want to go. You just go to sleep and don't you worry about it at all. He was trusting his skill and his ability. How many times have I done that? I got this. I know how to counsel people. I know how to manage people. I know how to handle this. I I know how to preach this thing. I got this. Yeah. Yeah, I bet you do, bub. What else was he trusting in? I think he's trusting in his boat. I don't know what Peter's boat's name was, but he had to have a name. I bet he renamed his boat The Disciple. And he painted The real big. The Disciple. I mean, Thomas is all right, but he doubts a lot. James and John, they're kind of, they're overzealous. They're kind of wacky. But I'm The Disciple. I bet he loved his boat. I bet, I bet Peter's boat wasn't very attractive. It was kind of like Peter. But man, it was sturdy. He trusted his boat. But his boat almost went down that day. I think another thing that he was, he was trusting in was his own experience. I've been in storms like this before. I've made it through this before. But man, when those waves were about to bring it down and they had nowhere else to go, they come running over to Jesus... I mean, they're freaking out. They're carrying on. And they realized we were trusting in all the wrong things. Let me show you that last purpose that Jesus was trying to make. We'll get out of here and find time. He wanted to increase their awe. Look at verse 41. I love it. They feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this? All is a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. I want to tell you this tonight. That is the natural response of any man who enters into the presence of God. Do you understand when you get around God, I mean, you really get with Him, it's like looking into the sun. It's, it's overwhelming. Now, I want, to, I want to say a couple of things, I'm going to be done. I really will. I'm thankful that Jesus allows us to have a relationship with him to where we can call him our friend. I mean, I like the song. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. He's a wonderful friend. 
But I'm afraid because we have this kind of relationship with Jesus that we end up kind of taking liberties that we ought not take. And that's why people call him the big man upstairs. And we can get, we have a problem in our, our Western culture with being a little too familiar with him. Maybe the Jewish culture was the opposite. Remember, they, their, their idea of God was this, you know, Moses on the mountain and thunderbolts and don't come to the mountain. You even touch the mountain and you will die. You better put up a fence because even if an animal comes up. And, and so that God was very unapproachable in their mind. And, and, and here, because the veil has been written twain and we can enter boldly into his presence, we take liberties that we ought not. And what I'm saying is, do you remember in this text, what you have earlier is they're running into Jesus going, don't you care? I mean, wake up, man. I mean, you're sleeping over here. And you don't even care that we're going to die. And they begin chiding him like he's a little child. They had the audacity and the boldness to shake him and say, you don't even care for us. Get up and do something. Oh, and he got up. And I don't know, did he walk out and did he go, peace, be still. That's kind of always the way we think he did it. Maybe he got up, and I don't know, maybe he was a little annoyed. I'm usually annoyed if you wake me up from a good nap. <laughs> maybe he went up into the way, I mean, maybe he just rebuked the, the winds and the waves. Peace! Knock it off! Be still! <laughs> I don't know. But I know this much. When he was done doing what he did, and not just the sea calmed down, the wind stopped, I mean, everything. Boom! I would have loved to have seen the look on his face when he turned around and he looked at those 12 guys. Sopping wet, soaking, looking like a bunch of... <laughs> Here's Jesus. I mean, you think Jesus was some, some pale-skinned, looking weenie, weenie that they... I mean, no, he was a carpenter, man. I bet he had big old forearms and calluses on his hands. I mean, he turned around and he looked at them. And they fell on their face. And they said, oh. What manner of man is this? This ain't he. He's not one of the boys in the boat. we, We shouldn't be slapping him on the back and yucking it up like we have been. There's something different about this. This is the son of God. We better get our act together. You know, sometimes we sit over here and we go, God, what, are you, what in the world are you doing? And then we get in a problem. And, we, and then we see God do his thing and his plan come to fruition. And we're standing over on the other side. Because you look at that. Go ahead and look at it. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Sometimes those chapter divisions, they're very helpful, aren't they? But sometimes they mess up the flow of the text. I believe chapter 5, verse 1 says, and, and, and they made it to the other side. His plan was accomplished. And they got to the other side. Oh, their fear had been canceled out by a growth in their faith. And they had grown in their awe and respect of who he is. I just want to encourage you tonight. I hope I haven't preached too long tonight, but I just want to encourage you tonight. I don't know what you're going through. But I know this, God has a plan for you. And I know this, I can authoritatively say this on, based on God's word, that the plan that he has for you is better than the plan you've ever drawn up for yourself. Let me tell you, I've sat down before and I've, I've got it all planned out and scripted out how I want it to be. And God has thrown me off script in my life before. But I'm going to tell you, when it's all said and done and the chapter has ended, God was always always did something better in my life than I thought myself. So I'm going to ask you some questions and I'll shut up. Question number one is this. Have you ever been confused in your life about what God was doing? I'm sure you have. Here's a good question then. Do you trust God even when it doesn't make sense to you? Number two. Are you bitter about the problems in your life Or are you better? Because I have, in years of ministry, I've watched. I've watched families go through things I would never want to go through. And I've watched them be better. 
I have. I've watched them be better. But I've also watched a few get really, really bitter. Do you see problems as being exciting? Because when you have a problem, then you know God has a solution. I like that old song, Through It All. There's a line in that song that says, If I never had a problem, then I'd never know that God could solve them. Let me tell you, I never wake up and go, man, I hope I got some problems today. I never do. But I've tried to grow in that area that when I get one, then I'm like, hey, I can't wait to see what God's going to do with this. Final question. To what purpose is God trying to work in your life through the storm? Is he trying to deal with fear in your life and mistrust? Is he trying to increase your faith? Man, I love that. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, man, I want that. When was the last time you fell on your face in his presence and you were just, you were just overwhelmed with how amazing he is? God's got a plan for us. Let's follow it. Heavenly Father, Thank you for the plan that you've laid for me, that you have good plans for me. Good thoughts, thoughts of peace. Not of evil, but of an expected end. I pray you'd help us tonight. How many of you with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? I don't want to labor any longer than I have. How many of you say, preacher, I, I'm finding myself in a storm right now. Would you pray for me? How many feel that way tonight? God bless you. Several hands all over the auditorium. I'm not surprised at that at all. I wonder how many of you say tonight, preacher, I'm like those disciples. I've been through a storm and I came out on the other side and God taught me a thing or two. And you're right. God has a plan and his plan is better. How many of you, how many of you testify of that tonight? Amen. How many of you say, preacher, I, I want to have a greater faith and I want to have less fear. And I want the Lord to just overwhelm me with his with his presence tonight. I want to see him in a greater, greater capacity. How many feel that way tonight? Amen. Would you stand with me, please?